Okay. I think it was uh, Orson Pratt or Orson Hyde who said uh, that God's favorite way of teaching is through symbolism. Why? Why, why symbolism? We all, we all have a perceptual filter in our, in our vision. When we see something, it's based on what we, how our perceptual filter is tilted. Okay. And, and so it has different meaning depending upon what your understandings are. Okay. Well, that will determine how you interpret a symbol yes. that you're looking at. Right. And you and I might look at that symbol from two different directions and see two different things. Most likely we would. Okay. I was just going to say something similar to that, that whatever knowledge we've gained will also reflect on, just like you said, our perception. So our perception is partly set up by our knowledge, by our understanding, that when we actually then look at that symbol, we're we either going to understand it or we don't understand it. Ah, okay. All right, yeah. When we're in tune with the Spirit, we'll understand it from His point of view. Because then sometimes that perception is not just our knowledge, but also activated by the spirit that will then unlock looking at that and seeing what we see. Okay? Yeah. All that too causes us to ponder and think and pray and work at getting an answer rather than just have the answer fed to us. Wouldn't it be easier to have the answers fed to us? Don't we like that? Wouldn't that be more better? I think I, I think I've mentioned in here that uh, I remember when uh, uh, Hilton Kennedy was in the Temple Presidency, and I, and, and we were on a trip, and I kind of tried to pin him down, and I said, "There is so much richness in the Temple. Uh, where can people go to get answers? I mean, can I just, you know, can I just make an appointment, sit down with you, and ask you what this thing means and this thing means?" And he says specifically, "We're told not to do that because the symbol is." your personal moment of learning and growing. And, and I may give you an answer that is the way that I see it, but it may be different than the way that you're supposed to see it. You, you think of the sacrament. Well, the sacrament. The sacrament is fascinating. But isn't that, it is interesting, though, that in the church, we're pretty fast to say, but we don't believe in ritual... Stuff and we, you know, we only have a couple of prayers. We say exactly the same, and we don't do rituals the way other churches do. Then we go to the temple, and it's all ritual, and it's all symbolic. And we, and there are a number of people that have a hard time making that jump from the simplicity of a sacrament meeting to the rich ritual and the and the graduate course that is the temple ceremony. But there it is. And our ability to read and understand and dig and answer and ask questions and try and find it and how it relates to us is the essence of why it is the Lord used symbols. And especially when we start talking about parables. The other thing that I would add, have you ever uh, looked at a symbol one way or a ritual some way or the sacrament one way and then give you 20 years of knowledge and experience later and you look at the same thing and it looks completely different to you? 
It's the same reason why somebody said to me the other day, I was reading in the scriptures and this verse was there. How did that get in there? <laughs> I read this thing over, I read this chapter a hundred times and I never saw that verse. Where did it come from? Or, how about your patriarchal blessing? Here we can go back and read your patriarchal blessing after a significant period of time and you go, where'd that come from? I, I didn't realize that line was in there. What is that? We do. And that's the richness of the, that the Lord teaches us in layers. So we're about to see layers. That, that's why this is so much fun. Now, let's turn for a second to uh, uh, Matthew 10. Let's get his... Yeah, Matthew 13, 10. I know where I'm going. You guys just need to know... Okay. And the disciples came and said unto the Savior, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? And he answered and said, Because it is given unto you, who, who you? The disciples, the apostles, it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Wait, wait, wait. And, and we said this before. We have a tendency to say, we're not supposed to study the mysteries, right? And he's saying, it's given unto you to know the mysteries. According to what other people So the mysteries of the kingdom here are those deeper pieces of the gospel that we are meant to know and understand. Does that, does that make sense? I think mysteries aren't necessarily this mysterious... You know, when you think mysteries, you think of all these really weird things. That, I think mysteries it. here is more of understanding Heavenly Father. Oh. That, line line? that is the mysteries of godliness, isn't it? And understanding us better. I think that's more... You know, it's not digging into whether the pearly gates go right to left or left to right. <laughs> whether you can progress from the third level of the celestial kingdom to the top level. Or what's in the second level. Those are, those are things that we don't have answers to. But so much of this is mysteries. And simply, what is a mystery? If you read a, if you read a book that is a mystery, what do you, what, what's going to happen by the end of the story? You'll know, this, you'll know it, but you've got to dig, and you've got to look for it, you've got to look at the clues. And then, we, we love mysteries, why? For that aha moment, and you go, ah! Well, that's the fun of it. It's when it's suddenly revealed to your brain, and you suddenly get it. Okay? So, it's given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but unto them, who's them? general congregation, the world, it's given unto them. Uh, it's not given. To them it is not, is not given. And then he's going to say, For whosoever hath to him shall be given, and shall have more in abundance. If we look at, uh, in, in the electronic scriptures, when you get a red, that says, Oh, that's a Joseph Smith translation thing. So we look at that. 
And it's going to say, For whosoever receiveth, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever continues not to receive... Oh, so, stop, stop. So who is it that gets the mysteries and who is it that doesn't? You have to receive. Remember last week we are talking about I stand at the door and knock. And if you open the door, you're going to receive what? Him. And if you're going to receive Him, what else are you going to receive? The Gospel and knowledge and answers and mysteries. But you have to receive it. Well, again, why would anybody not receive it? Now, he's going to, if he, there is another, he gives another answer, and it's down here in verse. That is a good answer. We're actually going to probably get to that one in just a second. Um, let's see, where did I, hold on here. They would be surprised to find out that those things were really there. They 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 just don't believe that it would. Yeah. Okay. All right. Somebody read. Uh, uh, Corey, can you read uh, 34, 35? All these things spake Jesus unto the multitude in parables, and without a parable spake he not unto them. Okay, so let's fast. So there is a period of time here, uh, and, and let's, so let's go ahead and put. Well, I'm going to hold on to that for a second. Um, without a par- so he was constantly speaking in parables. There's another reason why he did. Thirty-five. That it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, "I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world." Oh. So I'm going to speak in parables, and a parable is something that lays alongside. A parabola is something that is, has, kind of looks the same on both sides of this thing. A parable, like a symbol, like a symbolon, means that it is an image of itself. It is a story that lays alongside. Okay? Now, why would he choose then a parable to reveal secrets? And, it was, and so much so that it was prophesied that he would. Because it's actually easier for us to understand. We talk about it's so hard, and it is if you're not paying attention. You do have to work at it, but once we understand the parable more fully, it's actually easier for us to understand, because it's some, usually the parable is something that we can relate to. In the scriptures, it seems harder to us sometimes, because it's not always something that we're doing right now, but at the time that these people lived, it was things they were doing every day. It was relating to their life. And we do the same thing now, like in general conference, when the apostles tell stories and then say, here's how it's related to this gospel principle. Those are all parables, but it's easy for us to understand them because they're from our time and from things that we relate to. So it's real common to us. Right. Okay. Um, President Uchtdorf gave us a good little parable uh, in priesthood session. Some of you had even... Uh, 
uh, ladies, you had, you had a chance to read this. If there's anything, if you've ever been involved in, a, in any kind of quorum responsibility, one of the things that you get to do over and over and over and over, especially in the notice quorum, is what? Move. You get to move people. Upstairs and downstairs and in through windows and all over the place. And, you know, and uh, we always say, well, well, I, I need some help moving. The first question is, do you have a piano? <laughs> and food storage, lots of weeds. Yeah. And, and in essence, President Uchtdorf, uh, a couple of years ago, gave a perfect a parable for those that would move a lot when he said, if I remember, about moving, lift where you stand. Well, it's a little hard for me now to, to actually get together and we're going to move something, whether it's a dresser or a bed or a refrigerator or even a piano and not think, well, isn't that interesting? If we all stand here and lift right where we stand, it works very well. So it's easily taught to my brain because it's a common experience. So that's why when the Savior was using parables, he was using a lot of seeds and figs and soils and tares and stuff that we're going to talk about today. And, and fishes and nets and... Chickens. Yeah, chickens and hens and things, okay? Now, there's another reason, though, that he really needed to be able to teach in parables. Yeah. He was fulfilling the work, but there was a reason why he was going to do it. Okay? Well, I thought one of the reasons he did taught parables is so that those who were ready to receive those secrets or mysteries would be able to receive it, but those who weren't ready, like I said, would not have that knowledge and then they would be accountable for that and weren't ready to live and teach so he had, So he had a responsibility. He had a lot of listeners. And he had a responsibility to protect who? Which people? The ones that aren't ready. He has, a, he has a need to protect as well as a need to instruct those that are ready. So here's this beautiful teaching uh, device for being able to teach those that are ready and protect those who are not. Anybody in here have a calling that involves some kind of teaching? Do you get this? That there are people that are ready and people that are not. And one of the, one of the techniques that the Savior is using to say this is a beautiful way to teach is that there are going to be some in your midst that are ready and they need to be taught the mysteries. And some who are in the midst who are not ready to be taught and they need to be protected from the mysteries. Why do we need to protect them? What happens if they're not ready? They would end up being accountable. What else? Why else would be would be in danger for teaching somebody not ready? They choke on the meat. It's stuff that they're not ready for. That's why I always hesitate a little bit in speaking to investigators, and they're saying, "So tell me, so tell me." where God came from and how he was a God and how you might be a God and it's like, oh, we're starting with steak and we need to, you know, start with soup. We're going to dive into the deepest stuff and they're just not ready to hear it. I heard an interview with one of John Huntsman's daughters and the interviewer asked, why aren't the temples open to the public? 
Yeah, that's kind of a discriminatory thing. Yeah, and she says, well, I hope someday they will. And I thought, what? (laughs) (laughs) I hope someday they will. Yeah, Yeah. she's never been there, I don't think. Probably not. Well, there you go. I hope that everybody will be worthy to attend the temple. Just be really optimistic. That's awesome. Okay. All right. Well, that said, so so as we start walking into this, now we're going to get from the Savior a lot of parables. Matthew 13 is rich in parables. There are about eight of them. And he's going to begin to teach... uh, almost exclusively with this. Now, before, okay, let let me get, let me get one more uh, quote before we actually dive in. Bruce R. McConkie. Parables are a call to investigate the truth, to learn more, to inquire into spiritual realities, which through them are but dimly viewed. Parables start truth seekers out in the direction of further light and knowledge and understanding. They invite men to ponder such truths as they're able to bear in the hope of learning more. Again, it's how much can you handle. Parables are a call to come unto Christ, to believe his doctrines, to live his laws, to be saved in his kingdom. They teach arithmetic to those who have the capacity to learn calculus in due course. I like that. By the way, what happens to those that cheat in arithmetic and then try to learn calculus? <laughs> it doesn't work. It doesn't work real well at all, does it? They are the mild milk of the word which prepares our spiritual digestive processes to feast upon the doctrinal meat of the kingdom. Parables start us down. But again, uh, as, as with all of this, my, the other thing that I would add to this is, and also the key to the parables is ask, 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 ask questions. Why this? Why that? Why is that there? Why did he use that symbol? What do I know about that symbol? What do I know about where I am? What do I know about human behavior? Why, why, why? And and I, as we're looking at some of these, I'm doing one of these, why, that makes no sense to me. I need to ask him. And uh, some of which I'm still working on, and some of which you'll probably help me with. But let's let's uh, let's start this. Let's go back to uh, Matthew 13. Then, with that as a background, the same day uh, went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside, and great multitudes were gathered together unto him. So he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Now, let's just—we uh, need to—we need to preface this a little bit by saying, this, in the Savior's ministry, he went from obscure person to wildly popular to then unpopular as the, he got closer to his crucifixion. This is in the popularity phase. If they, had, if they had run a poll, they'd have found out he was pretty well liked at this point. So he's pop, now wherever he goes, 
he's being thronged by multitudes and around. And, and so he chooses an interesting setting here that he can't talk to him, so he's going to get out on a ship and just sit by the, close to the water. And by the way, from an from a, uh, acoustic kind of thing, is this a great move? Here, been just a few yards out on a, on a cl- where clear water. That there is a nice little, you can call each other across ships, okay? It's actually not, not, not a bad setting, especially if there's a bowl there where the people could sit, he's on a ship, and he can speak out like this, okay? Not bad, not bad. Now, if it's choppy water and there's lots of noise and splashing and stuff like that, not so wet, but this must have been enough of a moment that he felt like he could, he could uh, speak to him. Okay, now. Or he So he's what? Or he or in the air, or he might have. It was a little splashy. <laughs> I need them to hear me. Would you, would you love that ability as a primary teacher? I've got a lesson. Suddenly everybody can... Okay. Now, as he, I want you to picture this for a second, though. This will also give you an impetus. You have to kind of see it through his eyes. So now the Savior's sitting on the boat, some expanse of water, and there's, and there's the shore, and there's all the people. What is he looking at? Who, who is there? Who is he looking at across from him now? Who's there in the crowd? First of all, his disciples, then he's still trying to prepare these guys to shoulder the kingdom in a relatively short period of time. They need to know the mysteries. So he's got them. Who else does he have? Seekers. He's got seekers, those that are actively investigating this as a possibility, and I want to I want to know more about him. Okay? It seems like there's always some Pharisees He's got Pharisees that could go back one chapter to Matthew twelve. Then there's uh, Pharisees and Sadducees actively watching him, looking for any opportunity to trip him up so that they can lock this guy up. So he's got antagonists in the group. So he's got disciples, he's got uh, truth seekers, he's got antagonists. Who else is there? Some family and friends that are there, they're there because they want to, it's him, they want to know more about him. In fact, at the end of this chapter, they're going to go, wait a minute, we know this guy. You know, he was, isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't this Mary's little boy? Wow, where'd he, where'd he come up with that? Who else is in the crowd? The curious seekers. Those looking for entertainment. Kind of a boring day, you know, and this guy's in town. And we, we're just curious. We're not really into truth, but we're just listening. Okay. By the way, do you think the general authorities ever feel that way when it's time for them to speak in, in general conference? Who else is listening on this broadcast? Well, there's millions. Who's in the, included in the millions? Disciples, antagonists. Family, true seekers, they're all there. So how do you teach in such a way so that everybody gets something? I mean, the Savior's standpoint, that's why I think it's wonderful. That of all the, so here's the Savior, and he's looking at all these people, and he's going to do two interesting things. One, I think it's time for me to teach in parables. For all the reasons we just mentioned. Now, which parable is he going to start with as he looks at this large crowd? 
And he, verse 3, And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower came forth to sow. Who's the sower? He is. And there's the soils. They're all in front of him. Now, Wendy, can you read that? Why don't you start with uh, verse uh, 4 and go through 8. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places, where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up, because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they were withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But others fell into the ground and brought forth fruit, some an hundredfold, some sixtyfold, and some thirtyfold. Okay. This is fascinating to me. So here's the Savior, and he's saying, I'm kind of sowing here. I've got all these people. And then he's going to start running through, and he's going to list how many different uh, soils? Okay, four. We sometimes call this the parable of the sower, and probably a more accurate description is the parable of the soils. Okay, so from a so the best way to take a look at these. Let's, let's break him down. Because uh, it is fascinating to me that one of the ways to better understand the different soils he's talking about, and we need to ask questions, we need to be able to dig. There are four soils. Do we have anywhere else in the scriptures where we talk about the reception of four different types of people to the gospel message? Anywhere else? Where? At a tree of life. Isn't that great? So let's use that as our parable. And so I want to, here comes this gospel message, and it's going to go out, and I want you to recognize these four different types of people. Uh, the first one is I call the lost. And, and what I thought I'd do, I'd hop down a little farther in Matthew 13, because the Savior is going to give, the, they're going to say, tell us, tell us the, the parable of the, of the sower. And then we're going to get the Savior's interpretation. So I want to use the Savior's interpretation of this, and then I want to compare that to First uh, Nephi 8 and Levi's dream. To help us see better. The first is the lost. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away which was sown in his heart. This is he which receives seed by the wayside. Okay, so I want you to picture this. Here, here's, the, here's the sower. And he's sowing, and, and one, of the, one of the places that the seed falls is in the, in the wayside. What, what's the, in the way? What's the way? It's the what? It's a path, right? It's where it's either stony or it's dirt that has been walked over and over and over and over. 
Is the soil is the soil underneath that good? Could be. We don't know, right? Could be great soil. But the difference is, is that it's become hardened. It's a it's a pathway that's been walked over and over and over and over and over enough that it's become so hard that when here comes this seed and there's good soil sitting under it, what is what happens to the seed? It just yeah, it just gets walked on. It just stomped on, or it just runs off. It can't get in there because it has been walked over and over and over. Okay, it's a common path. Now, let's combine that with First Nephi eight twenty two, and it came to pass that they did. There's this group, and they did come forward and commence in the path. So they're on the path. Which led to the tree. They're on the right path. Except there, there, there arose a mist of darkness, yea, an exceeding great mist of darkness, insomuch that they who had commenced in the path did lose their way, that they wandered off and were lost. Okay? Who are these people? What's that? Can be the less active. And what path are they on? Is that a well-worn path? This path of destruction. That is. That is a. That is. Why is that road right? It's one that a lot of people have walked on. It's very familiar. I think it could be anyone because as children, aren't we on the right path when we begin in life? Sure. We start them off. Uh, I remember when when uh, I was teaching uh, uh, YSA Institute and. Uh, Mark Ogletree and I ran a bit of a study uh, prior to the teaching at BYU, and we just started polling all of our kids that were in institutes. We, we would say, okay, uh, how many, when you were, see, these, these kids are now 20, 21, 22, 23, and I'd say, when you were a deacon, how many deacons were in your class? So we had, we had 10 deacons, we had 12 deacons, great, all right. How many of those deacons were still active when we when you were when you graduated as a priest? And it was a little frightening. How many beehives did you start with? Oh, we were we were a buzzing group of beehives. Yeah, you met a lot of them. How many were still active and involved and still on the path and everything by the time you got to eighteen? Heartbreaking. We had about ten. There were like four. How many of those went on a mission? Um, two. How many beehives? No, Okay. How many of those are still active? Oh, I think maybe one or two. Are we bleeding you? Yeah. Now that's not to say that a number of those. And we're going to talk about that in a second. Those that then fall away and then they're back by twenty-five or thirty or forty. Number of them do come back, but a lot of them are gone for good, and they're lost in forbidden paths. If this is the gospel seed and it lands on the path, if it lands on their path, why are they not receiving it? What's the problem here? It is too hard. Who's hard? The soil, the seed, probably great, right? And, and the path in each one, and the, and the soils in each case here is uh, the person and specifically our 
harvest. Here's our soil. And here comes the seed. And in this case, the soil is locked on, tramped on, hardened to the point that the seed can't get through. Yeah? Right, and it can't get in. He, no, no matter how good this is. Yeah. Well, the preparation in primary is really important, and their friends. Because, you know, because I think that makes a big. I don't know. They talk about so much that they do, which is important, but it's in primary where they help them to recognize the spirit and help them to. Okay, and as you're talking about recognizing the spirit and everything, what are you doing to that soil? You're going to nurture it. You're going to dig underneath it. It needs to be softened. It needs to be broken up. It needs to be have a contrite and broken soil. Kind of thing. Yes? Well, this is the last subject, but it goes along with your comment. You know, we talk so much about hastening the work with missionary work, not with family history work that's going on. But um, Christine and I worked in our state primary for about five years together. And we, we really feel like we saw hastening of the work going on when that faith in God needed to do more at that age. And so they instituted that program. And if you look at it, it's all about that private religious behavior that is so important to help them start understanding how the Spirit speaks to them and what it feels like to read scriptures and study and learn, not just depending upon older siblings and parents, but even at the age of eight, really learning how to foster a testimony. Right. It's too late when they're 12. It is too late. Because they're going to, what is more comfortable for them is not to break up the soil, is to follow a more where, a worn path. It's the same path all their friends are on, the world is on, Hollywood's on, pop stars are on. That is a worn path. And it gets really hard. And at that point, even the soil underneath may be great, but the seed's going to bounce off. So we've got to soften them up by the Spirit. Personal spiritual experiences are the key. You're right. Okay. All right. That's one group. Then we have the unrooted. But he that receiveth the seed into stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and immediately with joy received it, yet hath he not root in himself. And that is a phrase that has haunted me a little bit. That is quite a phrase. He, yet he hath not root in himself, but dureth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution ariseth, because of the word, by and by, he is offended. Okay, so picture this one. So you're saying there is times when the sower is sowing seeds and there is soil there. And the seed finds a place to grow. And so it starts to grow and it starts to sprout. But what is right underneath the soil? Stony. Stony, stony ground. In other words, this is a layer of soil, good soil, and there's rock right underneath. Sound like uh, Texas? Okay. And there it is. So, so he says, in this case, he hath not root in himself. What's the problem here? No testimony. There's no testimony. Why? 
Not enough knowledge in the gospel. And knowledge in the gospel you can tell by Right, and so the question is how far... So there are a lot of people with... That's a good way to put it. There are a lot of people with head knowledge. This church is a good moral place to raise people. And Jesus was a good teacher. And Joseph Smith seemed like a nice guy. I can have a knowledge at one level that this sort of makes sense. But what's missing... And it could, or it could have been, I mean, because my, my parents said this is a good place. Tradition says to me this is a good place. The missionaries are cute. My friends are there. This is what I've always done. Our knowledge is about two inches deep. But the problem there is, for a plant, what happens with a plant that is growing on a rock? Soil. There's not enough soil. And the problem with that is the roots. It had, there isn't an ability. When the roots try to reach down, it, now it's running. The stony place isn't on top of the ground. The stony place is underneath. And it looks like the plant's doing great. Until the sun comes out, we get a wind, we get a, a, a bit of a river coming through here, maybe it the soil gets washed, and the problem is it's lacking the deep roots underneath, but it's deceptive because on the surface it may look like it's doing just fine. Yeah? We had a friend that was baptized and, and one of her friends was baptized along with him. After everything was over, they're leaving. And he says, well, let's go celebrate. He goes to his car and pulls out a fifth. And she says, what did we just do? So... No foundation. Yeah, there's no foundation, and you see it in a hurry. And by the way, you will know um, very quickly how your foundation is coming when you have uh, leaders in the church that tend to be kind of human, and you're doing fine until the Relief Society president says something rude to your child. Or the bishop forgot for this to call your son in to talk to him about stuff. In other words, the, we, we are offended by the word. Yeah. So this is interesting because I'm looking at this completely differently than I've ever thought about it before. But it's, I hope he so. He doesn't have root in himself, which, and then the, by and by he's offended. Sometimes we aren't confident enough in our own abilities and in ourselves, and then when somebody says something to us, part of why we're offended is because we believe that what they said might really be true. That's why we're offended, is that we believe what they said. Oh, I believe that they might be right. I don't have enough of a belief in myself and having confidence in myself, so I can't withstand them saying that. What happens to those whose testimony is two inches deep, but underneath this is as unresolved uh, problems in their life? And this is what I see in my office a lot. Or poor self-esteem or bad image or a history of abuse, or uh, uh, a variety of things that says when, and we're going to get to that in a second, I'm talking about wheat and tears. What happens when it has to reach down and take hold, but the heart is hard against ourselves? We don't believe in ourselves enough to think that we're worthy of this. He never, he never got the foundation. He was, he was, wasn't even active, but she stayed active because she didn't participate. 
Yeah. She said, you don't realize what we just did. Well, it's just, you know, he didn't think anything about it. Let's go have a drink. You're not getting it. Or, or, or like I've mentioned, like I mentioned before in here, those that would say, uh, my, my, my friends that were on a cruise with, with their friends, you know, and they find them drinking on the cruise. They're both in the same word. And they're like, what's the deal here? Well, we're in international waters. <laughs> The soil is only goes down so deep. Okay? Now, uh, Lehi's version of this was, as we were talking about not too long ago, and there were others pressing forward. They caught hold, forth a hold of the rod of iron. They pressed forward. Missed the darkness. It looks like they're doing fine. But they are clinging to the rod of iron. They're clinging to that little bit. And they partake of the fruit of the tree. And after they had partaken the fruit of the tree, they did cast their eyes about as if they were ashamed. Those that cling, what, what might they be clinging to in that little bit of soil? Traditions. Their friends. The social stuff. The, all that. So, I'm sorry. Right. I, just something that I thought of is if they're clinging, they're not moving. No. Or they're moving, they're moving fearfully. Those that, in my mind, these are those that are in the church a bit out of fear. Maybe it was a fire and brimstone thing that says, I'll be damned if I don't follow what the missionaries are telling me or something. And it's a, it's a fearful thing, and I'm going to hold on. And then the first time that, because I have no root into my heart, then the first time that I'm ridiculed or made fun of or something like that, I'm going to lose it because I have no roots. By the way, the church is full of people without real deep roots. And, and these are the ones, they're, they're, their leaves are tender. They've got to be nourished and break up that hardness underneath. A personal story for me, I joined the church when I was 20 years old. I had a very intellectual conversion. I read the, a book called The Book of Mormon in Ancient America. Yeah. And I, and I saw this comparison between Isaiah and the, and the second Nephi and the Dead Sea Scrolls. And I was convinced that the Book of Mormon was true. And I very strong see God plan. Very strong testimony, but very little understanding of the gospel. And I got called to be a state missionary when I was just 20 years old. And knocking on doors and people saying no to me or questioning me, and I didn't have the knowledge to discuss the gospel with them. And it, I went inactive for like 12 years. Yeah, wow. And so I feel like that was my situation, the rock. How many times are we going to introduce somebody to the church and maybe they're newly baptized, either they're being taught by the missionaries or they're newly baptized and they go out to work or to a family reunion and they go, I'm a Mormon. <laughs> and it's awesome. You know, and the missionaries and the Book of Mormon and Joseph Smith and angels and gold plates and I'm a Mormon, you know, and, and they're like, did you realize, you know, or I can't believe you, that's stupid. You got sucked in by that. Really? And did you know about, and I'll bet you didn't know about this, and then there's this, and they believe, Mormons believe this. And what happens? They go in it. 
They do. They wilt. They wilt. They because there's no there's no roots down. There's a hardness underneath, and some of that's just a lack of understanding. These are our hearts we're talking about. Okay. The sad part is that don't most of them don't they're still inactive. They absolutely set up a, a, a fork and begin to fire. The, you're exactly right. The, on their way to being inactive, now to justify that they're now smarter than when they got sucked into this stupid cult, now they've got to be able to let everybody know how stupid it really is, and I'm now smarter. Exactly right. Okay, then there's the starstruck. Uh, he also that received the seed among the thorns... Remember that the seed goes in, it's good soil, it grows up, and then it's choked out by the thorns. Uh, and he that heareth the word, and the care of the world, and listen, and listen to his phrase. The deceitfulness of riches. The deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. What do we, how, was the seed good? Yes, this is the Word. This is the word, the love of God that's being planted in this heart. Is the soil good? Yes. Does, this, does the plant grow? Yes. And does it grow tall? Yes, it does. But what else is growing? The, the thorns. And, we're going to, and, we're, and again, we'll finish this one and get to the wheat tears. But it is its tears. It's, it's thistles. It's also going to grow alongside. And what happens over time? It chokes it out. Why would a thistle choke out a, a, a seed like this? Yeah, the, the seed is tender, and the, and the thistle, he uses these words deliberately, is? They're strong and they grow fast. They're aggressive. They do. They, and, they, and they overshadow. They cover up everything. And they twist themselves around the, the roots. Everybody, you ever see anybody go this route? The seed was planted, but the deceitfulness of riches. Uh, and first Nephi, and he saw other multitudes feeding their way towards the great and spacious building. Where are they going? They're headed for where? What the idea is supposed to be going towards the tree? Follow the rod and the tree and the fruit. Where are they going? They're going for the building from day one. Remember the Pixar Bugs Life? You know, it's so beautiful. <laughs> and they're just blood sap. They're blinded by that and they can't see anything else but that. If, I have, if I'm going to have a choice between watching conference and the Oscars. <laughs> conference, Oscars. <laughs> yeah. It's so beautiful. And it came to pass that many were drowned in the depths of the fountain and many were lost in view and wandering in strange roads. They get caught up in all of the world. 
Okay, finally, we have good seed and good ground. But he that receiveth the seed into good ground is he that heareth the word and does something interesting with it. He heareth the word and understandeth it. And, and from the standpoint of the seed, he's going to say, those that understand it, what, how does the analogy work with the seed? How do you know which one is the seed that is understanding? It takes root. You can tell by the root. And, and by the way, what's the purpose of the root for a seed, for a plant? Nourish. It's going to reach out and find nourishment. And it's going to bring and stability so it doesn't get knocked over. But it's looking for nourishment. And it has a greater ability to be nourished from a variety of places because it has a big root system. All of 32. That's where we're going. Thank you. In fact, if we just look at that real quickly, I want you to... Because the, the best description of this really is, in my mind, look at Alma 32.28. Now, let's compare the Word unto a seed. And I, I almost wonder... It, this is so fascinating to me that either uh, Alma was able to see the Savior maybe envision teaching or that they were drawing from something. Zenos is going to give us a wonderful thing in, in uh, uh, Jacob 5, this allegory of the, the vineyard and everything that's going on in there, the you know, olive tree stuff that talks about planting and soils and good places and bad places. Alma is not just making this up. He's drawing this from somewhere, either by vision or by what he's read. Because this fits too perfectly. Then Alma 32 could slide right into Matthew 13, right there. Now, if you give place, there's the key. You've got to give place that a seed may be planted in your soil. If it be a true seed or good seed, if you do not... Cast it out by your unbelief. Doesn't get choked by worldliness. It's landing on a path that's not overrun where everybody's been walking. That you resist the spirit, it will begin to swell within your breast, and it'll feel these swelling motions. You begin to say, This must needs be a good seed, and the word is good. And it beginneth to do something interesting. It beginneth to enlarge my soul. Okay? Use the use the Allegory that he's giving you. How would you say that differently? It begins to nourish. It begins to send down roots. It begins to reach down into my heart. I'm understanding more deeply. I'm more rooted. I'm in a place, if that happens, it begins to enlighten my understanding. Understanding comes from roots. It comes from reaching out, digging deep, breaking up the soil in the hard places in our heart. That it, it opens up our heart, and now we have a broken heart, contrite spirit, with roots of the, of the spirit reaching down deep, and we can be nourished by that understanding. Now behold, would not this increase your faith? Yeah, it does. And then he's going to talk more in Alma 32 about nourishing. Well, you can nourish it if you've got deep roots. And that's what we're about. Okay? Oh, 20 minutes. 
All right. Uh, questions on this? Yeah. I have a grandson that went an active as a teenager, and uh, parents active. He went an active. All, all the kids went an active. He moved to Alaska. We got a call not too long ago. He's active in the church. Somehow or other, he caught somebody either contacted up there or whatever. He's a five-year-old little boy, and he took him to primary, and his little boy got him into church because he wanted to go to primary. So now he's paying his time in and going to church. And and so here's a chance. He's back at church now, and now he has a chance. And the key for him to stay, he's back in that little soil there. The, the key for him to stay in the church is going to be that the, the rocky places underneath need to be broken up so that the understanding can reach down so he can begin to develop a root system that enables him to stay. And he's doing it. Yeah. It's interesting. We had a. Uh, a speaker yesterday in right in here at Sacramento. Uh, we have this wonderful man in our in our uh, ward. He joined the church eight months ago. Uh, he is uh, six eight, uh, big black basketball player guy. One sweet spirit. Uh, gave a war hoop when he was baptized. Gave another war hoop when he was confirmed. I mean, he's doing the Rocky thing up the up the aisle after we've confirmed him in Sacramento. <laughs> and, and it's fascinating. He spoke in church yesterday, and he's kind of fumbling through this and trying to trying to get through stuff. And and finally, and then it's not going so well. And then right at the end, he kind of puts his stuff down, and he just bears his testimony. And it's just the sweetest, nailed it, worth being in sacrament meeting just for that testimony. Then he goes back and sits down, and then he gets back up. <laughs> it's over the microphone. At least I didn't faint. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a, he's a tender plant. You know, and we're trying somehow to help him understand better his roots and, and make sure that that happens. Okay. 20 minutes. <sighs> we'll see how far we get. Yeah. Sometimes with plants, when you are transplanting them, don't you cut off like the top and the roots and then put them in somewhere to regrow the roots somewhere else? Oh, and that's yeah. what happens to people that are that are baptized like that. They've had traditions all their life long and they don't see anything wrong with those traditions because it brought them to God. You're saying that somebody who already has a plant and we transplant them to our garden, they already had a root system, but it was a root system rooted in something else. They're understanding. So we're trying to put them in the right soil so that the roots that they have can reach down and be able to draw nourishment from this new soil. Kind of like grafting. Kind of like grafting in all of those things. That's a perfect analogy. Yeah. Yeah. You ever watch, sometimes do investigators walk in a sacred meeting? Are they in shock? <laughs> and then they're watching your kids get up and, and speak in church, and they're thinking, you know, I can't get my kid off Xbox. And your kid's actually talking about spiritual stuff from the pulpit. 
Yeah, we do that, I think. That's a, that's a good point. All right. Uh, let's get rolling. This is fascinating to me, the, the parable of the wheat and the tares. This is one of those uh, this is one of those parables that has enough weight to it that uh, in, uh, we have a section in, in the Doctrine and Covenants on it that the Savior is going to give a more full interpretation of this. Joseph Smith spoke at length on the parable of Matthew 13 specifically about the weakness. This is probably one of the most important parables we have in all the scriptures. Uh, and I would like to bear witness that this has been fascinating all week long. Yes. <laughs> and it's been driving somebody nuts. <laughs> okay. Another parable. He put forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which soweth good seed in his field. And while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth, then appeared the tares also. Then the servants of the household, householder came and said, Sir, didn't thou sow good seed in the field? And whence? Uh, the, where these tears come from? And he said unto them, An enemy hath done this. And they said, Well, he wants to get them all out of there. And he says, No. 29. Lest when you gather up the tares, you root up the wheat also. And then we'll, so we'll wait till the harvest. And then we'll gather to, first the tares, bind them into the bundles to burn them, and gather the wheat into my barn. Now. There are some questions that roll out of this. Okay, so we know that the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man, and he puts good seed in his field. Is this a good spot of land? Yes. Is the seed good? Yes. Okay. Now, an enemy's going to come along and sow tares. Now, what do we know about tares? What's a tear? It's a weed. It looks like the wheat. It looks like the wheat at first. And you're not going to know that it's not wheat until it, it, the, the term is it heads out. It, the, the head shows up. The, the fruit shows up. And then you go, oh, it's wheat. I thought it was a I thought it was wheat. Now, so here's here's my question on this one. What is there about? Tearing up the tares. I, I think that word was used. Because you're going to have to tear out the tares. If you're going to de-tear the field, what is there about the tearing up the tares that will disturb the wheat? I get the, I get the analogy. It certainly works. We know that one of the things that wheat does is is our tear wraps its roots around the roots of the wheat. So if we're going to pull up the tear, we're also going to tear up the wheat. I get that. Okay, now put it in real terms. Put it in real terms. What is there about removing tear-like people that will disturb the wheat-like people? If we tear them out, are we supposed to like 
clear things out. You know, if someone's... For instance, let's just say it is the church. Let's say that the good ground, and there's several layers. This is the world, but it's also the church, and then there's another layer in which it's our heart. There are three layers. Okay. Let's take the, ch the church thing. What is there about removing tear-like people that might disturb the weak-like people? Okay. So, so the weak-like people love the tear-like people. Yes. Right? If he was torn out, if he was kicked out, what effect would that have on you? That would hurt you enough that it might disturb you? If I let my thoughts focus on you harming my family, you are not this, and then all those thoughts that lead to, I'm just associating myself with you. Especially if your plant is, is tender, you don't have many roots, and now you're going to watch your brother be kind of kicked out. Okay, so that could be very disturbing for a, for a wheat-like plant that does not yet have roots of understanding that are reaching down in there. Okay? in the church, or disassociate ourselves. Right. Move people. From the midst of the church where all the good grain is, they have family in New Orleans. Right. They have family, some maybe in the church, but they certainly have family and friends who are not in the church. And if they find that a good friend or somebody that they know of has been maltreated, you will never be able to teach them. That's hard. It will disturb the wheat. Right? How else? Why else? Would removing tears affect the weak, like people? I may be on the wrong track, but I, I think about the Nephites and the Lamanites, and the Lord told the Nephites that He put the Lamanites there to stir them up. To stir them up to remembrance. Right. And every time the Nephites started falling away, right. the Lamanites came in and stirred them up in remembrance. But what's the beneficial to the to the weak? To the Nephites to have the to have the tares removed, and the Savior said, "No, leave the tares. Don't take the tares out. Leave them there. Because if I remove the tares, I'll destroy the wheat." There's the that's the question. So we need to leave the tares in the church to, to provide opposition. No good for me. The man you don't go for me will leave the evil ones around so we'll spot it. <laughs> they said what I was thinking. Okay. See, now you're, you're, now you're thinking the right thoughts. Dig through this. Yeah. It's also our responsibility to care for our brothers and sisters, our spiritual brothers and sisters, even if they are struggling and causing problems. Do we ever kick the tears out in this church? Never. How about if we excommunicate them? They are not to be kicked out, are they? They're, being, they're walking through a disciplinary repentance process, but they're not being kicked out. They should not be ostracized. I think... Okay, so hold on. Here. 
How do you know, especially in the early stages, whether this is a wheat or a tear? Who's going to pick whether it's a wheat or a tear? Okay, let, let me take it one step farther. Hold on. If, if we say, if I were to say, okay, here's the good news. Uh, I, I, I have some wonderful news for you. In your sacrament meeting next week, the Savior is going to be there. But because he wants to have a spiritual meeting, he's going to be standing at the door to the chapel. And when you come up, he will then either let you in or he will send you away. <laughs> that Mike, here's my question, and I'm not asking for a raise of hands. Would you show up? <laughs> Would you show up? But because it's not like you can hide anything from him. You're going to walk up the walk. He's going to be standing there at the chapel door, and he will either welcome you in, well, good thou, good and faithful servant, or he will going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. He's going to keep the wheat and kick out the tares. And my question is, will you show up? Absolutely. It's great information. Huh? You have to look in yourself and say, do I believe I'm a wheat or do I believe I'm a tear? And what constitutes a wheat and what constitutes a tear? Who knows? Yeah. into a laurel class and decide which ones are weeks and which ones are tears? Okay, hold on. We've got a couple of hands here, but let me read a, a quote to you because we're running out of time. And we need one from, uh, when in doubt, go to St. Hugh Nibley, <laughs> the patron saint of BYU. This was Hugh when he was younger. <laughs> the gospel of repentance is a constant reminder that the most righteous are still being tested and may yet fall. And that the most wicked are not yet beyond redemption and may still be saved. Who do we know are weeds and who do we know are tares? Do you know if you're a weed or a tear? 
well, I've got this sin and that sin. Okay, yeah, but that doesn't necessarily make you... It just says that you're not perfect. Yes, sir. So, sir in the wheelchair. <laughs> you may begin to examine yourself and find out that you're probably going to feel these genes that are mixed and you're really an <laughs> He says we may find that our genes are mixed and we're really a half-breed. Well, we look at our genealogies, we may have some terrorism in us. Listen to Hugh says, and that is what God wants. Have I any pleasure at all that the wicked should die? There are poles for all to see, but in this life no one has reached, and few have ever approached either pole. And then this this great statement. And no one has any idea at which point between. His neighbor stands. Only God knows. Who gets to choose who are who is weeds and who are tares. And we're not going to know until we head out. And you know the fruits. And there's no guarantee. We may think we're we may think we're weeds, but at the end of the day, if we're not careful, we may turn into we may turn out we're tares. And we may think we're, we're horrible tears. But then over time it turns out that a life of obedience and service and, and turns out we were weed all along. Well, the Sadducees thought they were weed. Certainly they thought they were weed. We were planted in good ground, dang it. We know who sowed us. Abraham sowed us. We're his seed. Great point. Okay. So, so, so let me just let me finish with this. In fact, I think what I'd like to do, uh, I think it, it would stand some a little bit of scrutiny. Um, for next week, let's let's finish this up. But I want you to also, if you can write down uh, no, I want you to take a look at DNC eighty six. This is an important enough parable that the Lord is is going to reveal again an additional layer to this parable applicable to Joseph Smith and his brethren and therefore applicable to us. And then finally, I want you to think about the possibility of your own heart being the field. And I want you to think that your heart may have had wheat sown into it, but it may also have tares sown into into your heart. What do we do about that? How do we handle that? Is that a good enough homework assignment for next week? <laughs> Section 86, the 1 through 7. And then I want you to then kind of go back over and read this again. Because this is, this is really significant. And it has a lot to do with who we are and where we're going. Um, I bear you my testimony that there is great depth, great understanding. Um, and, and let me just finish too. Uh, I'm always aware when I look at stuff like this, 
I can't think of a better way to prepare somebody who has not yet been to the temple than to teach them symbolism and parable so that they begin to ask questions and begin to understand the depths. To then step into a ritualized setting and start saying, then what does this really mean? And what am I being taught? And if my mind is going there and my roots are deep, then I'm in a place to be taught in that most sacred place by parable. What the Lord really intends for us to do. I pray that we'll, we can do that. Have a great week. And I leave that with you in Jesus' name. Amen.